We find in life that there are a number of defining moments. There are events that we encounter that change our lives or are foundational to character development and forge or galvanize us into the people we become. These are occasions when we confront our fears and our shortcomings and better understand the power, grace, and goodness of God. They are learning and stretching situations, providing us with experiences which we can learn and apply the lessons learned to other circumstances that we're going to encounter in life. This morning, we are going to consider a very low point in David's life. David is in a period of time in which he is suffering great persecution. Saul is seeking David's life. Saul will pursue David all over the countryside. God will deliver David time and time again out of his enemy's hands. Today's event occurs early in that period of David's relentless persecution. It will prove to be a growing experience in David's life. This morning, we want to focus on this very low point in David's life, a time in which David is in great fear and failing to trust in God. We will then consider lessons that David is going to learn from this experience. As the narration opens, David is fleeing from Saul, who is trying to kill David. And uh, as we begin, we need to note David's condition, and that is that David is alone. If you look at 1 Samuel chapter 21, starting at verse 10, it says, And David rose and fled that day from Saul, that's uh, after he had been with Abimelech and after he had lied about uh, his purpose in being there and put Abimelech's life in danger, as we saw last week. Well, David rose and fled that day from Saul. It should be remembered that David is all alone. His men are not with him. They do not gather together until he comes to the cave of Dulam in verse 21 of this chapter. Thus, David has no one to help him or others around him to encourage him in the midst of his trials. Any trial or difficulty is more strenuous when it has to be undergone alone, when there is no one there to help us, encourage us, strengthen us, come to our aid. I think in this particular time of people being in the hospital with the restrictions that are placed concerning visitation because of COVID, and how much more difficult those hospital stays are, seeing that loved ones cannot be by their bedside, since there is no one that is able to be with them and help them through the particular uh, situation that they are in that causes them to be in the hospital. So, so David is all alone. And David, as he runs, ends up taking refuge in Gath. In 21.10, David rose and fled that day from Saul and went to Achish, the king of Gath. David's condition. David is desperate. David is desperate. Gath was a rather peculiar destination for David, for Gath was in the land of the Philistines, the uh, area of Israel's enemies. Remember that Gath 
is the hometown of the giant Goliath, whom David had slain. 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 4. And there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits in a span. So David is well known to the Philistines, Philistines and to the people at Gath. The king of Gath at the time of David's arrival was Achish. He'd been ruling over the city of Gath in excess of 40 years. As I said, Achish and his attendants were well acquainted with David's military success over the Philistines. And so we find in verse 11, And the servants of Achish said to him, Is not this David, the king of the land? Did they not sing to one another of him in dances? Saul has struck down his thousands, and David his ten of thousands. When one can readily understand why David would not have received a, well, a, a warm welcome in Gath. Think of those individuals who had been in the Philistine army who are living at Gath when David arrives. Think about all the widows of military men that had been slain by David and his cohorts that are living in Gath. You could easily see why David would not be welcomed in their presence. What a crazy place to go for refuge and safety. One might wonder why in the world would David do such a thing? Well, it shows just how desperate the situation is that David is in. There is literally no good place for David to hide. He cannot stay in Israel, for Saul has everyone looking for David. So David ends up going to the land of his enemy, where he is hated. At least Saul will not pursue him there. But it's a sad state of affairs when one feels safer with one's enemies than with the people of God. So David is in a desperate situation. And then thirdly, we focus on David's condition, and that is that he is very afraid. While David is in Gath, he becomes afraid for his life, and he's literally at wit's end. David at once realized that he was in for trouble at Gath. He could see the proverbial handwriting on the wall, verse 11. And the servants of Achish said to him, Is this not David, the king of the land? Did not they sing one to another of him in dances? Saul has struck down his thousands, and David is ten of thousands. David understood the tenor in which these remarks were made, for it tells us in verse 12 that David took these words to heart. He reflected upon what they were saying. He knew that he was found out, and he knew that they were quite well aware of all that David had done against the Philistines and against the people of Gath. So the result is that David is terribly frightened in verse 12. It says, And David took these words to heart, and now these words, and was much afraid of Achish, the king of Gath. The result is that David is terribly, terribly frightened, much afraid, much afraid. King James, sore afraid. He was terrified. He was terrified. 
David thought that his life was coming to an end. He thought that his destruction was inevitable. David was hopeless. His death was imminent. Now, one might be surprised that David is so frightened by these words. After all, David is the one who slew Goliath. It would seem tremendously inconsistent for the hero of 1 Samuel, the mighty warrior, the fearless young man who goes out to battle against Goliath when everyone else is afraid to do so, now quaking in his boots in the land of Gath before the king of Achish. Well, it serves serves to demonstrate that, unfortunately, faith is not consistent. We all know times in our lives when we are stronger than others. There are times in which things don't seem to bother us, and other times in which they seem to totally undo us. David is at a weak moment. And we're going to look at some of the reasons why he is at a weak moment later in the message. But for now, the focus is upon the dramatic measures to which David's fears drive him. David adopts a very disturbing plan. That is, he pretends to be mentally ill so that he does not appear to be a threat to the people of Gath. Verse 13, very important word, little word, so, so. The word so stresses the fact that his decisions are motivated by an intense fear. It just said in the previous verse, verse 12, David took these words to heart, was much afraid of Achish, the king of Gath. So, so, it is crucial that we understand that David's actions are the result of his fear. This fear is driving him to act in a certain way. So, so, thus, the behavior of David is not admirable. It is not to be imitated. And it is not to be praised. David is acting solely out of fear, out of trying to preserve his life the only way that he can think possible. So he develops this plan to pretend to be insane. Verse 13, he changed his behavior before them and pretended to be insane. Apparently, David is arrested at this time, for it tells us in verse 13 that he changed his behavior before them, pretended to be insane, these words in their hands, in their hands. So, so he was arrested. He was captured. He was going to be brought before Achish for judgment. And so David, as he is captured and wondering what can he do to save his life, comes up with this plan to pretend to be insane. And we have the extent and manner in which David changed his behavior in verse 13. It says he changed his behavior before them, pretended to be insane in their hands, 
And now this is the way in which all of that manifested itself. And made marks on the door of the gates and let the spittle run down his beard. So David is literally seeking to foam at the mouth. He is trying to present himself as the fool, as the fool, as the madman. David has been arrested and brought to Achish to pass judgment upon David. For we find in verse 14, then David, then Achish said to his servants, Behold, you have seen the man is mad. Why then have you brought him to me? Why are you bringing this madman into my presence? Since the king believes that David has gone mad, he is not afraid of David and lets him go. Verses 14 and 15. Then Achish said to his servants, Behold, you see the man is mad. Why then have you brought him to me? Do I lack madmen that you have brought this fellow to behave as a madman in my presence? Shall this fellow come into my house? This actually seems to work. David making a fool of himself. For David now is seen not as a person to be feared, but rather a person to be mocked or at best pitied. David has lost all respect of the people of Gath. They view him as a mad dog. Certainly not praiseworthy to David. Certainly not worthy of singing a song about David has killed his thousands uh, and, uh, excuse me, Saul has killed his thousands and David his tens of thousands. No songs are going to be written to his honor for pretending to be a madman. And unfortunately, neither will any honor and glory come to God as he behaves and conducts himself in such a manner as this. But David is able to escape in verse 1 of chapter 22. David departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. And when his brothers in all his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. So that's the story of the events that occur in the land of Gath, in this city where David had fled for refuge. We know that David's circumstance was very, very difficult. We know that he was alone. We know that he was despairing. And we know that he was afraid. Afraid. Well, what should we think about David's behavior? What did David think about his behavior? What did God think about David's behavior? And what are we to think about David's course of action in this passage? Well, fortunately, we don't have to enter into a, a great deal of speculation. We, we don't have to guess at what David's response was or how we are to view the situation. For fortunately, the Word of God tells us. There are two psalms that are written out of David's experience 
at Gath. They are Psalm 34 and Psalm 56. How do we know that these psalms are written out of David's experience in Gath? Well, we know that by the titles of the two psalms. We're going to focus this morning on Psalm 56. If you would turn with me in your Bibles there, and we're going to remain in Psalm 56 for the rest of the message. Psalm 56. As I said, there are two psalms that are written out of this experience. Psalm 34, Psalm 56. I'm going to limit myself to the study of Psalm 56 this morning. If you look at the title of the psalm, in the ESV it reads as follows. To the choir master, according to the dove on far off Terebis, a mictum of David, and now this, when the Philistines seized him in Gath. This points to the historical situation of 1 Samuel chapter 21 that we have just described. It's important to understand that the titles in the book of Psalms are part of the inspired text. And we must distinguish between the psalm titles, such as I just read, and descriptive headings that are found in some study Bibles. Descriptive headings are not inspired. They are just the editors of the scriptures that, that put a title up there so you can remember what the psalm is about and, and uh, it's helpful for study, etc. But it certainly is not inspired. However, the actual titles of the psalms are, are part of the Hebrew text. And they are inspired. They are reliable. They are definitive. So we can say with certainty that this is speaking to the period of time in which David had been in Gath. This is a reflective psalm. For it depicts David's response to the Lord not during the events that were taking place, but rather after the events had taken place. It is written after David had escaped from the ordeal at Gath. Now, we can't stress that point enough. For Psalm 56 is not describing David's mindset as he's going through this ordeal, this emotional torment while he's at Gath but rather the mindset that he comes to sometime later as he reflects upon all that has taken place. How do we know that? Well, the answer comes in Psalm 56. If you look at verses 12 and 13, which I take as the key verses for this psalm, and in Psalm 56, verse 12, it says, I must perform my vows to you, O God. I will render thank offerings to you, For you have delivered my soul from death. You have delivered my soul from death. Past tense. Doesn't say you will deliver my soul, but rather you have delivered my soul. So he's talking about events that already occurred. Talking about things that already had happened. God had spared David's life. He was able to flee. And after he had fled, David reflects on his experience at Gath. And as a result, 
Psalm 56, is written. You probably have heard the old adage that hindsight is 2020. Well, not always. Not always. Uh, there is such a thing as redactive history. <laughs> there is such a thing as denial. Uh, people don't always remember things accurately. People don't always learn the lessons that they should from their past experiences. But in this instance, David's hindsight is 2020. David is able to see later what he was not able to see at the time. David comes to conclusions after it's all over that unfortunately had not driven him while he was going through the particular circumstances at Gath. David is able to see more clearly after he experienced deliverance from the ordeal as opposed to when he's going through it. And so often that is the case. So often it is that we can look back on circumstances in our life, things that unnerved us, things that frightened us, things that caused us to doubt, have fear, to have anxiety. And then after we've gone through it and we look back, my things look so differently. But this morning, what we want to focus on is, and the theme is, David learns to overcome his fear by putting his trust in God. David learns to overcome his fear by putting his trust in God. We're going to take a walk through Psalm 56, uh, just looking at it in general uh, observations, and I'll make a few points of application as we go along, but most of it will be reserved for the end. The psalmist David begins by developing his persistent predicament. If you look at verses 1 and 2, it says, Be gracious to me, O God, for man tramples on me all day long. An attacker oppresses me. My enemies trample on me all day long, for many attack me proudly. The psalmist gets no relief or respite David is pursued day after day, all day long, no matter where he goes, not only in Israel, but in Gath as well. The pursuit of Saul, uh, by Saul is relentless. So David flees to Gath as a refuge, only to find himself in great danger there as well. He thought that he was finally going to get out from under the hand of Saul, but uh, he jumps out of the frying pan and into the fire. He goes to a worse place. He goes to Gath. And they too are out for his life. David flees to Gath as refuge only to find himself in great danger there as well. Certainly the ongoing nature of our hardships can wear us down. Going day after day all day long, with no respite, with no relief, with no end in sight of things not getting better but worse, you can understand why David is discouraged. You can understand why 
David is restless. But David had learned that in times of fearfulness to put trust in the Lord. If you look at verse 3, it says, When I'm afraid, I put my trust in you. What is significant about verse 3 is that the psalmist speaks of a time of fear as opposed to having no fear. Notice he says in verse 3, when I'm afraid, not that I won't be afraid, but rather when I am afraid, when I'm afraid. When I'm afraid, he says, I put my trust in you. Therefore, trusting in the Lord is to be seen as a means of coping with our fears. It is a recognition that, in fact, we are fearful. So what do we do in times of fear? What should our response be? Well, it shouldn't be denial. It shouldn't be that we pretend that we don't have fear when we really do. But the answer is not to rely upon one's own wits and cunning, but to put one's trust in the Lord. It is fear that makes trust in the Lord so meaningful. It would not be difficult to trust in the Lord if we did not have any fear, or if there were no occasion for fear. Trust would be meaningless. But the significance of trust is realizing that the dangers are real. David wasn't paranoid David really was pursued. David's life really was in danger. He had not blown the situation out of proportion. He had not exaggerated what he was going through. His fears were well-founded. Well-founded. He was indeed in danger, and he was indeed at wit's end. So what should he do? Well, what David learned from this experience is, I need to trust in the Lord. When I'm afraid, I put my trust in you. Initially, David had not trusted in the Lord, but rather had trusted in his own ingenuity to protect him. Instead of relying upon the Lord, he relied upon his wits, and he feigned his mental illness. However, David's trust in the Lord will bring an eventual end to his fear. Verse 4. In God, whose word I praise, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. So there's a progression of thought. What do I do when I'm afraid? Answer, put my trust in the Lord. What happens when I put my trust in the Lord? Answer, verse 4, I shall not be afraid. I shall not be afraid. Learning to trust in God during times of fear will lead to fearing less in the future. Trusting the Lord brings a whole new perspective to the situation. David is going to trust in the promises of God. If you look at verse 4, in God whose word I praise, in God I trust. So the trust that David has in God is ultimately 
trust in God's word. He believes God to be true. He believes God to be powerful. He believes God to be faithful. He believes that God will do what God says he will do. David has been told by God through the prophet Samuel that David was going to be king over Israel. At this point, David is still not king. Saul is still reigning. But he has this word from God. David, you will reign over Israel. He has that promise. He has that assurance. So then the question is, well then, why is he afraid? For he knows the outcome. He knows what will happen. He doesn't know how it's going to happen. He doesn't understand the way in which God is going to work, but he knows the end. He knows that this is not how the book closes. He understands that this is not the final chapter in David's life, that he is not going to die at the hands of Achish the king. He should have understood that at the time, is what David is saying. And he comes to learn to put his faith and trust in God's word. Verse 4. And God, whose word I praise, and God I trust, I shall not be afraid. And then this, what can flesh do to me? What can flesh do to me? What can man do to me? What can Achish do to me? What can the people of Gath do to me? Well, the answer is they can do a whole lot. They can do a whole lot. Mankind, when they're out to get us, can make our lives miserable and could take our life. But the proper outlook is that mankind can only do what God allows. Mankind can only do what God allows. Mankind is helpless to fight against God, to overcome God's will, God's power. No one is going to be able to overthrow God's plan of having David as king over Israel. So David once again reflects upon his difficult situation. But it's important to realize here that his circumstances are not going to change. Verse 5 and verse 6, all day long they injure my cause. All their thoughts are against me for evil. They stir up strife, they lurk, they watch my steps if they have waited for my life. As I said, we don't know exactly when this this psalm was written, but it was written after all that David experienced at Gath, but how long after, we really don't know. And David is still going through a lot of difficulties and hardships even after he <coughs> flees from Gath. So what's changed in David's life and David's faith is not circumstances. The circumstances are no different after Gath than they were while he was at Gath. But his outlook is a lot different. His faith is a lot different. Because 
Now he has learned when I'm afraid, I'm going to put my trust in the Lord. Now when all these things are happening to me, I'm going to focus upon God. I'm going to focus upon his promises. I'm going to focus upon what God has said he's going to do, and I'm not going to focus on what mankind can do and what they are against me. For now, David sees his enemies as not fighting against himself, but fighting against the Lord as well. Verse 7, for their crime will they escape? In wrath, cast down the people's Oh God, God is going to come to his defense. But here we have one of the most precious verses in all the word of God. For we find how God views David's lack of faith and trust in God while he is in Gath. What is God's response to David's faithlessness? Well, we find out that God responds in incredible compassion. We find out that God is keenly aware of David's restless sleep. In verse 8, you have kept count of my tossings. My tossings. Some have translated this as my wanderings, but... I think the tossings is a good idea here. I think it's a, it's a, a reference to a, a sleeplessness of tossing to and fro, ro- rolling over in his bed as he has thoughts of fear that will keep him awake at night and he, and he cannot sleep, he, he cannot get rest. He says, God counts my tossings. He's aware. He takes notice of all that I'm going through. Next, God is seen to cherish David's tears and preserves them as a remembrance in God's bottle. Verse 8, you have, kept count, you have kept count of all my tossings. Now this phrase, put my tears in your bottle. Put my tears in your bottle. <clears throat> a metaphorical statement that's filled with beauty. <clears throat> David's tears are running down his cheek. That's how afraid David is. Can't sleep. And he's crying on his bed in anguish and in turmoil of all that he's going through. Remember, he's alone. Remember, he doesn't have a friend in the world. Remember, everybody's out to get him. Remember, it's been relentless day after day, night after night. And David is weeping on his bed. Crying. He says, God takes all those tears and puts them in his bottle. That he doesn't let those tears fall to the ground. Those tears are precious to God. He has compassion upon David. And he saves them. And puts it on his shelf, as it were. To look upon them with kindness. To treasure them. 
There's a old hymn that asks the question, does Jesus care when I've tried and failed? The answer is, oh yes, he cares. I know he cares. His heart is touched with my grief. Though the days are weary and the long nights dreary, I know my Savior cares. God cared about David. God was not indifferent to David. God had not failed David. God was providing an experience for David for which he was to learn about God's faithfulness and goodness and mercy and compassion and strength and power to deliver. He cherished those tears. And then lastly in verse 8, it says, Are they not in your book? Are they not in your book? Are they not written down? In the book of Malachi, chapter 3, verse 16, it says this, Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. The Lord paid attention and heard them. And a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. He records it. Again, it's metaphorical. God doesn't need to write anything in a book to remember it. Again, it speaks of the way in which God cherishes it, the way in which he honors it. This book is viewed somewhat like a diary of which someone is going to record the precious moments of the day, things that they want to reflect upon in the future, things that are important to them. This is how God thought of David. He wrote it down. He wrote it down. He preserved it. He kept it. Counts his tossings. Collects his tears. Writes it in his diary. Isn't it wonderful to know that God is compassionate to us in our times of doubt? That God is merciful to us in our fears, that God understands, that God cares. David has confidence knowing that God is on his side in verse 9. Then my enemies will turn back in the day when I call. This I know, that God is for me. David is assured of his answer to prayers Verse 9, then my enemies will turn back in the day when I call. So David resolves to no longer fear. Verse 10, in God whose word I praise, in the Lord whose word I praise, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. That's a resolve. That's a commitment he's making. He's saying, not again, O oh God. Not again. I'm not going to act like that. I'm not going to pretend to be insane. I'm going to trust in you. I'm going to put my life in your hands. I'm going to believe your word is true. And I will be king over Israel. So 
David resolves to be faithful to God in the future. Verse 12. I must perform my vows to you, O God. I will render thank offerings to you. The reason for David's resolve, he has learned to trust in God who is on his side and who has protected him in the past. Notice verse 13. It's key. For reason, you have delivered my soul from death. Again, we know the occurrence of this psalm. It is what happened at Gath. And what's significant here is David is saying to God, God, you delivered my soul from death. Lord, you preserved my life. It wasn't this cockamamie scheme of pretending to be crazy. They could have still put David to death. They could have put David out of his misery. It wasn't that this plan was so great. It's that God is so merciful. And God is so gracious. And God allowed that plan to work. Not because it was God honoring or God pleasing, but because God is gracious and he keeps his word. And even though David was unfaithful to God, God was not going to be unfaithful to David. And so now David looks at that experience from a whole different perspective. This is you, God. You delivered me. And not only that God had delivered him, but God had delivered him for a reason. Verse 13. You have delivered my soul from death, yes, my feet from falling, that I may walk before God in the light of life. Not only had God delivered David from death, but God had kept his feet from falling, verse 13. God had upheld David's faith. God had worked in David's life. God had created trust where there previously had been doubt. God had raised David up and caused him to stand so that he would not fall again. Now we're going to see other failures in the part of of David, but again, we don't know exactly when this psalm was written, but it's the ultimate response. That I may walk before God in the light of life. That I might be consistent and that I might be an example. That I would not disgrace myself or God, but I would bring honor to God. Conclusion, takeaways. First, even people of great faith can have moments of great fear and doubt. Keep that in mind. It's really important to keep in mind when you have fears and when you have doubts. And you will. And you will. You're not alone. You're not alone. You may have great high points in your life in which you've shown incredible faith and commitment 
and trust. And then be amazed how some little thing can trip you up and cause you to question your relationship to God or his love for you. What do we do in such times? Well, we need to trust in the promises of God. One of my favorite verses is, Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen you, I will help you, I will uphold you in the time with my righteousness. Isaiah 41.10. We need to remember that God is compassionate towards us in our fears and our weaknesses. Our tears are in his bottle. Jesus does care when we have tried and failed. We can learn and grow from our weaknesses. We can learn and grow from our weaknesses. And others can be helped from understanding the true Christian experience. The scriptures are not afraid, the scriptures do not hide David's weaknesses. Later, of course, we know that he's going to commit these great sins of adultery and murder, etc., etc. There are times in which David is portrayed as this man of great faith. And then there are times in which David is portrayed as this man of little faith. In reality, that's pretty much the way the Christian life is. Ups and downs. Consistency and inconsistency. And we do people a great favor when they recognize that and understand it. You've heard me tell the story before, but it was one of those defining moments in my life. When I was in a hospital bed because of a heart problem that I had after falling over on a basketball court. I was traveling for Lancaster Bible College. No one was with me. I was by myself. I was in a hospital, in an intensive care unit, and I could hear the doctor outside the little curtain that was drawn, that certainly wasn't soundproof, saying, you better call his parents. I don't think he's going to live the night. That gets your attention. I was in my early 20s. He's not going to live the night. I can remember the thoughts that went through my mind. I was a student at Lancaster Bible College. I was preparing to be a pastor, preparing to be a minister. And the very first thought that went through my mind, I wonder if I'm saved. I wonder if I'm going to be in the presence of God. I'm ashamed to say that I asked myself if I had done enough to earn to be in God's presence. I knew better. I knew better. But those were the doubts. Those were the fears. I wrestled with those thoughts during the night. I reaffirmed my faith 
in Christ. Not by works. Not by what we have done. It's by the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And by early morning, I had a complete confidence. I was ready to be with the Lord if that would, that's what his will was. That wasn't his will. But I fully believe that that night was God's intention for me to be blessed and to learn some important truths. And one of the things that I learned was to be compassionate with others in their times of fear. Don't beat yourself up because of fear, but rather take your fears to the Lord. Ask him to strengthen you. Ask him to deliver you. Ask him to cause your feet to stand. Ask God to enable you to walk in the light of life and to be an example that others may be helped. So I ask you, what is our view of God? What's our view of God when we are afraid? How great is our God? How powerful is our God? How good is our God? And perhaps, as we think about this passage today, what is God's view of me when I am afraid? Answer, he understands what I'm going through. He keeps track of my restless tossings in the night. He collects the tears in his bottle. He writes the thoughts in his diary. God cares for you. God cares for you. Oh, that's so important to understand. When you're alone, when you're despairing, and you're at wit's end, the first step is to understand that he has not forgotten you. He has not deserted you. And he is not upset with you. He is compassionate. And remember, God deserves the praise. For all the ways that our crazy scheming seems to have worked out, that we understand that there's a sovereign God behind this. And we don't need to do crazy scheming. For it doesn't bring honor to us, and it certainly doesn't bring honor to God. Learn to trust. Learn to trust. And realize in times past, all those times that I was unfaithful to him, he remained faithful to me. 
in all the times that you are unfaithful to God, he will remain faithful to you. For we have a covenant-keeping, God-honoring-his-word God. Let's pray. Almighty God, we do not know today what people are facing or going through, but I ask for your comfort. I ask for your grace. I pray that you would increase faith and you would help people not to rely on their wits and on their schemings in order to achieve the desired ends. But Lord, in the midst of real, real difficulty, when fears are justified, Lord, may you be seen as greater than that which we fear. Lord, nothing can be compared to you. Nothing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Neither death, nor height, nor principality, nor power, nor things present, nor things to come, either in this life or the life to come. O Lord, you have authority over all things. Comfort us, and thank you, Lord, for your care for us and your love for us. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.